All right, we are going to be looking at these proposed church commitments. This is sort of the, the bringing together of the things we've been talking about the last five or six weeks. And so the goal with this is to think through uh, both our former church covenant, which is this page here that's the paragraphs. I forgot to put a title on it. Sorry about that. And then what things from our statement of faith and from uh, the things we talked about from looking at other things that churches have committed to would be things that would be good for us to do. So um, we'll just go section by section. And if you have any thoughts or questions, I'd be happy for us to discuss those. So the first part, as members of ABC, and we could spell that out, Ambassador Baptist Church, if we wanted to, we have repented and believed in Jesus Christ according to the gospel message. We have been baptized upon that profession. We seek to live out that faith before God. Therefore, we make the following commitments to one another as one body in Christ. All right. Any thoughts about that first paragraph in terms of wording? That's sort of our purpose statement for why we're doing it. Okay. And then the next statement, we will strive in all we do as God's people to glorify and enjoy God. So I saw that in one of the other ones that we were looking at. That's adapted from the Westminster Confession of Faith, the idea that it is the chief aim of man to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so I think that fits well with what we would understand the point of the Bible to be, that it's about God's glory as He does His work in and among us. So... And then the next thing would be, I was trying to think the best way to group all of the different statements that we have, and there's not necessarily a, a right or a wrong way to do this, but it, I felt like there are things that we do when we are gathered together, and then there are things that we do when we go out from here and are just living our daily lives. And so that's how I tried to organize these in these two big sections, and uh, certainly open to discussing how to adjust those if if need be so the first one would be we'll worship together or first of all the big heading will gather regularly as a church we will worship together in spirit and in truth through the faithful preaching of God's word through prayer and through the singing of psalms hymns and spiritual songs any thoughts on those first couple of phrases there Part of what I was trying to think through was what things do we do in our services? And there should be a, a connection between what we say we believe, what we've committed to do, and what we're actually doing in the church services. Because if we say, you know what, we are doing, let me think of something, you know, a little bit off the wall. If we were doing a, um, uh, I'm having a hard time coming up with something. Okay, let me take a bizarre example. If for purposes of outreach, we had somebody get up on like a horse and ride it through the auditorium, we ought to be able to draw a line from here's what we believe, here's what we've committed to do, here's what we're actually doing. That's obviously kind of far-fetched from any of those things, right? And so um, 
no plans to do that anytime in the near future or ever. Um, and so along those lines, what are the main things we're doing in connection with worship? Looking at God's word, um, praying, singing hymns, songs, etc. together. Okay. And then the next one would be, we will practice the ordinances of the Lord's table and baptism as a memorial of Christ's sacrifice and a picture of our death to sin. So one of the other important things about the... Um, what we're supposed to do as a church is to observe the ordinances that Christ left for us. Observing the Lord's table, remembering what he did in our behalf, and baptism as people are added to the church as a picture of, and we could, we could certainly expand on that, but our death to sin, our resurrection and new life. We talk about new life later down there, so that's why I just put death to sin here. So any, any thoughts, uh, adjustments to the wording on that phrase? Okay. The next one, we will submit ourselves to God's word and godly leadership, being equipped for ministry as those maturing in the faith. Obviously, the primary responsibility is to the authority of God's word. If I say something that we ought to do that's not connected to God's word, there ought to be pushback from you all on it and say, where is this in the Bible, or where is this even based on principles from Scripture? And so... Uh, that's the ultimate authority, but there is also like Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who have the rule over you and do it in a, such a way that they can watch over your souls with joy, not with grief, because they're going to give an account to God. And so um, we all have disagreements about things, but uh, there's also things where before God, I have the responsibility to lead you all well. And if I make a wrong decision, kind of like not a one-for-one, one, but kind of like in a marriage. If I make a wrong decision, that's on me, that's not on Kelly. Same thing with the church. If I lead us to make a wrong decision, that ultimately falls on me, not on all of us. Now, part of what you can do to help me to make wise decisions is to, if you see me starting to do something that doesn't make sense, say, wait, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, that kind of thing. But, but the idea would be, we're under the authority of God's word and the structure that he's established for the church and as part of that, we're being equipped for ministry as those maturing in the faith. Now, we could throw out a lot of words here. We could throw out the word discipleship. We could throw out the word growing, in, the phrase growing in Christ-likeness. There's a lot of different ways to phrase this. Um, maturing in faith would parallel the wording in our statement of faith, uh, but certainly it could be worded in a different way. Any thoughts or... Yes? Okay. So you're, it's unclear who we're talking about? Oh, okay. Sure, sure, okay. 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 Any other thoughts along those lines? If we replace as those with and, we're being equipped for ministry and we're maturing in the faith, is that more clear to you all? and maturing in our... Okay, sure. Along those lines, going back to the first paragraph, I use the word that to try to tie it to the first sentence, but I'm open to rewording that. We've been baptized on our profession. We seek to live out our faith. But at the same time, it's not ultimately our faith. It's God's faith. So it's... Uh, 
Do we have any thoughts about that first paragraph in light of what we just said here? Okay. Right. Sure. So if we change that profession and that faith in the first paragraph to our profession and our faith, would that work for everyone? And this is not our final wording. We'll have some more discussion with others who aren't here with us in Sunday school before we would actually vote on it. But just trying to get it close to the finish line here. All right. That's the main change on that section, right? Anything else? What's that? Okay, yeah. All right, the next section. We will enjoy fellowship as those united by the Spirit. Uh, edifying each other by words and actions. So would you want to take out as those and put a comma? How would we adjust that, you think? So like a comma and then being united? Hmm, okay. Any other options on how to phrase that? The idea I'm trying to get at is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We've all been baptized by one spirit into one body, so it would be a past one-time event. But then there's also a sense in which it's an ongoing... There's more in the back of it if you want to grab one. Yes. I'm happy for you to share with the other students, but no. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You need to come sit over here. Um, so the idea, that there's a past reality of having been united by the Spirit. There's an ongoing, which we'll get at the very end of it, that there's an ongoing peace or unity that the Spirit continues to build in and among us. But it's also still tied to that one-time event that takes place at the point of conversion. So... Okay. I think I like that better than as being. If we say, as one body, do we need to leave it at the first paragraph? Because we say at the first paragraph, as one body in Christ, we say here, as one body united by the Spirit, both of them are certainly true scripturally, that we are united in Christ, and we are united by the Spirit, so it might help to leave them in both places, but I'm also trying to keep it concise. Sure. Okay. Um, when I say edifying each other by words and actions, we could say something even more specific, like building each other up. Edifying would be the word that we find in Ephesians 5. Um, the word edifying clear enough, we feel like? Do we think we should try to make it even more clear? 
Right, so when I say edifying each other by words and actions, do you know what I mean? Yeah, we could do that. Sure. So just practically, what would that look like, just so we make sure we're all on the same page? What would it look like to edify someone else in the church? So that would be the word side of things. What would be an action that would build someone up in their faith in following Christ? Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, bringing someone a meal might be a tangible action that would be connected with edification because it's not just... I mean, we can, we can come, up with some, come up to someone and say, I love you, and then, you know throw the laundry on the floor, not take out the trash, all of those sorts of things, and there's a disconnect between, what's that? What's that? Yeah, yeah. So if there's not a connection between what we're saying and what we're doing, that, that's part of what we're trying to get at here. So, All right, well, we can, we can think about that some more, but for now we'll leave it as edifying one another. Uh, the next one, we will give willingly and regularly for the spread of the gospel locally and globally, the support of the ministry, and the expenses of the church. So, just to clarify what I mean by that, some places said cheerfully and generously, some places said willingly and regularly, or at least those ideas. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other words that were applied to it. The cheerfully and generously would come from potentially 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the one-time offering for the saints in Jerusalem. It might also come from what we see of the example of the early church in that they were willing to sell off their possessions and meet one another's needs in a very sacrificial kind of way. Uh, right. Right, and that would be the Second Corinthians, I think, 8-something. So the, the question for us is, do we want to emphasize the, I want to do this, and I'm going to, if the, if the commitment part is, I'm going to do it consistently, regularly, then that's why I put these two words here. If we wanted to instead emphasize the attitude, then we would say something like cheerfully and generously, potentially, although generously kind of straddles the line between action and attitude. So, any thoughts on which adjectives we should use to describe what we're doing as far as giving to the church? Notice I didn't say the, either the amount or the interval, because the realities of life are such that there's times when we can't give as much or give as often. But what we should make it our goal is to do it regularly. So, any, uh, any thoughts on those two adjectives? Should we use those? Should we use some of the other ones? Okay. 
for sure. Okay. Okay. One of the, the hesitations that we had with our existing was that it primarily talked about the spread of the gospel to all nations, which m in a lot of people's minds would sound like missions and maybe not sound like we're doing anything locally. So I wanted to make sure that it was clear we're doing it here and around the world. Um, Globa globally would be we're sending out missionaries. Locally would be we're doing evangelism here in our area is what I'm trying to get at. But again, I'm open to better wording on that. The old way that it was written was uh, contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of its ministry, the spread of the gospel through all nations, which is what the Great Commission says. I just want to make it clear that the spread of the gospel through all nations, it does us, it is not good for us to only send money to missionaries and never do evangelism locally. And so that, that's the thing that I'm trying to make clear. So, In terms of the order of these, I switched it up because a lot of them say the support of the ministry and then put the evangelism part at the end. But in terms of what the job of the church is to do, I think the first and foremost priority is that we're spreading the gospel. Then the support of the ministry would be that we're paying for, uh, that would be like supporting the pastor and paying for resources we need to do ministry. And then in my mind, expenses of the church is things like fixing stuff on the building. Now, ironically, sometimes that last one in some years can be more than the other two, potentially, but if it is primarily more about the building, then I think we've got our order of priority switched up. That, that's what I'm trying to get at. And so, so, does that work? Okay. All right, so we gather regularly as a church, worshiping, doing the ordinances, organized under God's word and, and godly leadership, enjoying fellowship, and giving willingly and regularly. And I was joking with Kelly, with the advent of online giving and those sorts of things, it doesn't technically have to be in the context of when we're assembled that we actually give, but I'm not going to worry about trying to differentiate that in a statement like this. So then we come to, we will go out from this place to do the work of ministry. And this is where, um, in some churches, and I'm not saying this church, but in some churches, we felt like if we came on Sunday morning, heard God's word preached, sang good songs, and those sorts of things, we had fulfilled our duties as Christians, for the most part. Because it's easy for us to say, well, I've got all these other things going during the week, and to see some kind of a disconnect between what we're doing on Sundays and what we need to be doing during the week. Now, I'm not saying that meant that people wouldn't read the Bible or pray or those things during the week, but church is to prepare us for ministry. You know, we're at church, I don't know, six, eight hours a week, if you come to all the services. We got the rest of the week, 160 hours, right? 
And so in all those hours, we have opportunity to be doing ministry as the church. Sometimes people talk about the idea of the church gathered and the church scattered. It's, it's those kinds of ideas. The first one was, I was trying to capture the idea of uh, our previous church covenant said to engage to maintain family and personal devotions. What I wanted to try to capture was the spirit of James chapter 1 where it says we gaze intently at God's law, we are changed by it, not just hearing it but doing it, and we're blessed in, in, in those things. And so the way I phrased it, and again I'm, I'm open to rewording on this, we will look intently into God's word, believing God's promises and obeying what he requires that we might receive his blessing. And so the idea would be we're not just like we hear the Bible on Sunday and then that's it and we're good until we hear the Bible again on Sunday but we hear the Bible on Sunday we think about the Bible during the week we think about what do I need to do based on what the Bible says and sometimes it's not always a do sometimes you come into the middle of a situation and the thing that you need is not a I should do this it's a do I believe what God has said? When I'm overwhelmed by the circumstances of this particular day, do I believe what God has said? And that certainly leads to actions, but sometimes belief is the starting point, which is why I put that. And sometimes it's, God said, you need to do fill in the blank. Well, then in those cases, I've got to say, I'm going to obey what God says. And then the goal would be then that we would receive God's blessing, like James 1 says, this man will be blessed in what he does. So, I'm open to... Um, other phrasing on that, but any any thoughts on that first one? Okay. Okay. Um, again, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but um, the primary commands in the New Testament, I think, have to do with contemplating, meditating, those sorts of things with God's Word. So how do we capture that as being the core of what we're doing? Because I... And maybe we can say both, but um, I'm just trying to think through that. Possibly. Other thoughts? I'm sorry, go ahead. Be more specific. Okay. So, I guess, along those lines, what... Um, what verse or passage would you look at, either a command or a principle, that we should read God's Word every week? And again, I'm not saying it's a bad practice. I'm just... I'm just okay. So, develop that for me. And again, I'm not disagreeing with you. Just... 
Okay. So would the that would Deuteronomy, right? Six probably. Let me see here. Uh, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and will talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, first thing would be that this was written to Israel. And I'm not saying it doesn't apply to us because we should obviously prioritize God's word more because we have more of it than the Israelites did. But in terms of the specific command, it was given to the Israelites. But the specific command is not to read, but rather to be saturated by, of which we could say the necessary implication is you have to read it or hear it in some way. So th- that's, that's the sticking point for me, not to say we shouldn't read God's Word, but to say that if the goal is, if the goal is my life is filled with God's Word, which then leads to change, which leads to God's blessing. There's a variety of avenues to accomplish this, and if we specify all of the avenues, it's difficult to be exhausted. That's the tension I'm trying to think through. Maybe it's not... um, Maybe there's some other verses that would capture this idea as well. Any come to mind about being full of God's Word, meditating on God's Word, being saturated by God's Word, those sorts of ideas? Any verses come to mind? Okay. That's an act seventeen, okay. So that's not a command, but certainly it says these were better than the other ones because they did this. So it's certainly a a recommendation or a praise by the narrator, Luke, of what they're doing. So that's a good verse. Okay.
other thoughts on the we will look intently into God's word, better way to capture all of the ideas connected with that. Yeah, I mean, it could be something like we will read and meditate on God's Word. I mean, what's that? Okay. I mean, would that capture the idea better than look intently if we said we will read and meditate on God's Word? Do you want it to be more specific than that, potentially? Okay. Okay, so we say regularly on God's Word? Right, right. Faithfully versus regularly, what do we think? For read and meditate. To hmm? say faithfully? Well, we could say we will, maybe we put the faithfully before the action because that's how we have it in the next one. We will faithfully read and meditate on God's word. And then that makes it parallel with we'll faithfully pray for ourselves and each other. Okay. Any other thoughts on the wording of that first phrase? It comes from James 1, but we can leave it out because it's not technically in the statement of faith per se, and I'm trying to make it fairly closely tied to the statement of faith. Because the that we might receive is blessing, is that technically a goal or is it just kind of an expected result of what God says will happen when we do this? You know, I, We could take it in, we could leave it out. Basically, should that last phrase, where is it coming from, is it helpful, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Then I'm done with it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we could, we could probably take that last phrase out for now and... All right, the next one, we'll faithfully pray for ourselves and each other, um, would be tied to to remember each other in prayer from the existing, but it would also capture the idea that we can pray for other people, but we need to pray for God's help for us as well. Anything we need to add to that phrase? Leave it short and concise. What do you mean? 
you're saying who is the each other, or what do you? Each other we apply So you're saying we should be praying for people outside of those two groups? Okay. Like. Okay. Sure. But, I mean, in terms of general responsibilities of the church, there should probably be a commitment to do like what First Timothy 2 says, which is pray for those in authority. Um, we could say we'll pray for ourselves, one another, those in authority, and the lost. Is that a good starting point for now? Okay. Nobody wants to be so technical. No, I'm just kidding. It's good. It's good. All right. Um, we good on that one now? Okay. The next one, we will humbly watch over one another in brotherly love as we care for each other's spiritual and physical needs, rejoicing or weeping together according to the need of the moment. A little bit wordy. Suggestions to improve? Um, it's just, uh, there's a verse, I'm trying to remember the reference, like dwell with one another in brotherly love. So your thought is to use a different adjective instead of brotherly, or? Okay. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if somebody wanted to quibble about it, sometimes... So first Peter, right? Or is that second Peter? Second Peter one. Okay. Um, I guess the reason I put the adjective brotherly is because people have a misconception about what love means in our culture, and it tends to be a fairly selfish thing. Whereas if we say brotherly love, then it tends to be like, unless you have a weird understanding of what that means, then it means like, this is family. I'm going to take care of them. You know that kind of thing. So that's the idea. I'm open to rephrasing, but that's why I put that. Just to qualify the love, that it's not just like, I do this if I feel like I like you today, and other days I don't do it. Whereas family is a thing that you're kind of stuck with them, you look after them regardless, you know? I don't mean that in a burden kind of way, but it's a reality, you know? I don't know if we want to commit ourselves to that, though. No, I'm just kidding. 
No, I, 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 sacrificial is true, but I think we're trying to capture the idea of like the family connection. So, okay. And again, we don't have to hash everything out today. We're just trying to get. Is that too long? Do we need to take out any of that last part of the phrase? Any co- let's, well, let's go to the next phrase. As we care for each other's spiritual and physical needs. I think we see evidence of that in the New Testament. And care for is not so specific like we're going to do everything for every other person, but it is if somebody needs help, we'll help them, you know. Um, quick aside on that, Paul said with regard to widows that it was primarily the responsibility of the family, but then also the church has responsibility as well. And uh, just trying to balance those two responsibilities is what a lot of 1 Timothy 5 is about, for example. But there is definitely, I think, an obligation, spiritual primarily, but also physical needs. Otherwise, what's the point of James 2? Here's a brother or sister. Good luck, as Calvin would say. Um, So, what about the last phrase? We have that in our existing, or do we? Uh, to aid each other in sickness and distress, Christian sympathy and feeling. Um, that might have actually been more from some of the other ones that I was reading. This idea of uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Um, I think it's a good phrase here, but I don't think it's essential if we felt like it makes it too long. Do we capture the idea of what we're trying to get at if we stop it with, as we care for each other's spiritual and physical needs? Because the last part has more to do with our yeah, actions, attitudes, those sort of things, too. Okay, tentatively, I feel like it's a little bit long, so maybe we'll take that last phrase out. We could always add it back in if we change our minds down the road. What's that? Bro. Yep, pretty much. We will, the next one, we'll live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust by God's grace as those who received a new and holy life. That's trying to capture the idea of sanctification. It's taken from Titus. God's grace has appeared to us and called us to live this way. Okay. Any rewordings on that one? Are we good with that? That one's a little bit long too, but I think the idea of a new and holy life is important, so I'd be more inclined to keep that in. All right, the next one, we will proclaim the gospel to those around us, urging them to be reconciled to God. Um... Again, sometimes we have the feeling that this is something the church is generally supposed to be doing, but it's not always something that I personally have to be doing. But I think Scripture would indicate it's something that we personally ought to be striving to do. Um, And uh, just as a little aside, if we're Ambassador Baptist Church, we have to use the passage from 2 Corinthians 5 where it talks about us being ambassadors and urging people 
But I mean, on a serious note, we are supposed to urge people to come to Christ, right? So, any better phrasing for this? Does that, that work for now? Okay. Last one. We will bring up those under our care and the nurture and admonition of the Lord as godly examples to them. Generally, Ephesians 6 is set in the context of parents with children. Uh, I think when we look at the example of someone like Timothy, we see the role that godly grandparents can have, and so that's why I said those under our care, because those under our care could be our kids, it could be our grandkids, it could be you're a Sunday school teacher, it could be you're uh, working with teens. I mean, those under our care, we have a responsibility primarily to our family, but also generally in the church to help bring them up to follow God. And the as godly examples to them, I think, is a reminder that it does us no good to teach them all the right stuff and then show them the opposite of what that's supposed to look like. So, All right. And then the last couple of phrases, if we move from this place, we'll unite with another church where we can carry out the spirit of these commitments and the principles of God's Word. Um, hopefully that's not the case, but if someone does end up moving, um, the goal would be that we would do these things at another church. Um, could be. I, I hadn't really thought too much about that. Well, I was kind of thinking that it was like a kind of like a a separate thing. I don't know. That's why I put it at that level. And then the last phrase is a asking God to help us. May the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all in this task. Again, that's a passage of Scripture. I forgot to write the reference down, but um, it's one of the benedictions toward the end of one of Paul's letters. And so I think it's good for us to be reminded that we are not alone in this task and we're asking God for His help. So, my goal with these would be that it would be something that we would like I said, perhaps not every month, but regularly read through when we gather for the Lord's table, perhaps at other times in the gatherings of our church to be reminded of what it is that we're trying to do because I think it's really helpful. I mean, I was talking with, um, I was talking with Braden about something. He wanted to go, he wanted to go play yesterday and we were, um, we were looking at a verse together and he was ready to be done with it because he was excited. It was Saturday. It was time to go do something. Um, and I said, but, but this says that we're supposed to be focusing on God's Word. So it's helpful to make those connections back to this in our daily life. It's helpful to make those connections back to this as we gather. So that's the goal of what we're trying to get to. So what we'll do is probably take one or two Sunday nights down the road this fall have another discussion through, see if there's any further concerns or thoughts from others who are not with us here this morning, and then look to adopt it probably at our January church business meeting. So that's kind of the goal of what we're moving toward. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning to consider the truths of your word. We don't see this as a replacement of your word, but rather a summary of it, trying to Make sure that the life of our church lines up with what we say we believe, what you have called us to do, 
and what we're actually going to carry out as those who are your people. We pray this, asking you to bless the service to come in a few moments. In Christ's name, amen.